cash we need to pursue our artistic dream and for a new knife and the stitches that come with it don't forget the boots today we are talking about that warehouse work and also the field hand function and then there's the old cart wrangle angle we are your hosts jamie parker stickle and jason bieber and on this episode we are talking to a writer who put his own fandom of horror front and center in his writing and in so doing he became a true master of the genre he was a recipient of the 2002 national endowment for the arts fellowship in fiction in 2006 he won the jesse jones Award for Fiction from the Texas Institute of Letters, and he won the Bram Stoker Award for Long Fiction in 2017 and again in 2021. And we're waiting for 2022. Yeah. We are so excited and so humbled to welcome this literary icon to the show. Our hats off to you, Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, thank you all for having me. Thank you for being had by us. He's like, um, I've heard better, guys. <laughs> guys, this is this is what I read to myself when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool and chill that i feel like oh i might blow this um stephen graham jones wrote us last night he's like guys i forgot i have a surprise side hustle to talk about and i'm going to hear that before we talk about any of the others but before we do i just i i like to imagine that he was deep asleep and like startled awake <laughs> like oh Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> no, I was, I was up late. I just watched Heat, and then I was reading a Brian Evanson story collection. And something that Brian said reminded me of a job I used to do back in 2000. It was in 1999, 2000, and maybe 2001. It was working for iUniverse. Is that the place still around? It was a iUniverse. iUniverse. Back then, we called it a um, Vanity, Vanity Press, but that was also at the moment when Vanity Presses were becoming self-publishing. It was like losing the stigma. And Got it. I, I Universe was part of that kind of hinge moment. They, you would like pay them, I don't know, $1,200 and they'd do a POD version of your book, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But, yeah. But in order to be respectable, um, this is me from the outside saying this. I worked for them, but I was still on the outside. It felt like they were like having to maintain us, or they felt like if they maintained a site with literary like attractions, then that would make them more respectable. And so they hired a lot of people like me to run around and do interviews and write features and stuff like that. And so somehow I got on the track of interviewing people, which I'd never done before. And I remember I interviewed Ian Frazier, but you know, actually the coolest interview I did was, I just found the cassette of this the other day, I was going through some old boxes, was I got to talk to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for 45 <gasps> minutes, nice. which was pretty cool. You know? God. Yeah. <laughs> that is cool. Um, was it iconic? Did he say, don't worry, just chill. I've got this. And he just fed you answers. (laughs) (laughs) He's so laid back and he's, he's he's such an intelligent guy. It was really nice to talk to him. And I was, I was a complete idiot, you know? Well, did you just, did you just quote airplane the whole time? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. And I feel like that's one of those jobs when you are an artist, when you are a writer, when you're an actor, it's one of those things where you're like, I'll just do it for free. Would you just let me do yeah. this? Because I would do it for yeah. free if you're Absolutely. doing all the work behind it. So there, well, there nice was, there was a, you. Yeah, it was. There was an awkward moment in the interview, I remember, where um, I was trying to convince him to eat some fry bread, and he was conv- he was convinced that he was not going to try fry bread. And it turned out, I found out afterwards, it's a religious thing because he didn't want to eat like you know animal fat, that kind of thing. Oh, and, um, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't. You know, I don't 
know what ingredients are. I think fry bread grows on trees, you know? So um, I was convinced that he should try some fry bread. Oh, and he was like, you're naive and sweet. Yeah. And I like you. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. gonna... That orchard doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> now, that job was also the first time, the first place I heard about Mark Z. Danielewski's House of Leaves. I was working there in 98 in November and a friend of mine who had got me on at iUniverse, he was a little higher up than me doing other stuff. He slipped me a sneak peek at a feature that was going to run on January 1st, 2000. And that was a 60 page sample of a house of leaves. And that was my first encounter with it, you know, and it, wow. it, it blew my mind and made me terribly sad because I had just like two weeks before finished writing a novel that had like, you know, 12 levels of footnotes and it was a horror novel and all this stuff, you know? So I realized that, um, um, not only was I being scooped, but he had been writing this novel for 10 years. So I'd been being scooped for 10 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What, what ended up, where did you, why did you transition or leave that job? Did you go from that and then you got a teaching gig and that's when it happened? I had, I had the teaching gig at the time, actually. I started teaching as a visiting professor at Texas Tech University in 1999. Mm -hmm. And I was also still working summers at the library on campus. And also I was working weekends and some nights um, at Sears okay, in the warehouse. See, and this man tells us, well, I really haven't had any side jobs. Well, that actually, what you're saying <laughs> begs a question I was about to ask, because I, we come across this a lot when we speak to writers, especially writers who also teach. Do you yeah. consider teaching a side hustle or do you teach it uh, or you consider it like, that's what I do. I am a writer. I am a teacher. And then everything else is a side hustle. You know, yeah. I consider myself a writer, but I think to me, teaching is part of writing, if that makes sense. It's all sure, like it does. both publishing books and teaching is part of being a writer for me. When I, when I talk fiction to my students and read books with them, that informs my own writing. I, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't teach, you know, maybe I would just lay around and watch Rockman Files all the time, you know? <laughs> Fair. Couldn't Fair. be all the time. They stopped making those. Yeah. <laughs> um, they stopped making New Heart and I lay around watching it all day on YouTube. Give so it. I'm just saying. Okay. All okay. right. So, so, so I, I neglected the fact that you can start over and just watch the series on a loop. So let me ask you this because, um, you said something important that you were still while you started teaching you were still working nights and some weekends mm -hmm. doing warehouse jobs i've worked in a warehouse i was very small when i did i couldn't even donate blood because i was under the weight capacity and yet i was moving couches at pier one imports into people's yeah. trucks so yeah. let me say you were doing like manual labor mm -hmm. why did is that something that because teaching wasn't paying enough so you kept on or you were insecure about the teaching it was all of that actually plus um my whole life i'd only ever done manual labor and it was just like i had um inertia or not i had like a momentum that's that's manual labor was always my fallback um in grad school like working on my doctorate all of my people i came to school with and was going through the program with they were um you know getting they wanted to teach this class and this class but so that their um cv would look better and then they were watching all the job listings the posting just all the stuff you do you know to get into yeah. academia I didn't do any of that. I didn't teach. I just I worked at I worked at where Sam was the Sam's. Yeah, I think it was Sam's. And um and because I never had any plans on teaching, I just wanted to learn more about writing and books. And so as soon as I got my PhD, I came back to Texas and went to work in the warehouse, you know. And the only reason I ended up leaving the warehouse was I hurt my back and I had to get a desk job. And desk job turned into 50 other things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you're, you're a PhD. Sure. Can I ask a, a stupid question? Okay. PhD, 
don't people really go for their PhDs with the anticipation of teaching? Yeah, that's a, that's it's. I mean, the the MFA and the PhD are both terminal degrees, of course. You can teach yeah. with both of them, but you're much more of a generalist with a PhD, and you can also grant PhDs, and so you become probably a little bit more attractive to um, programs, um, books notwithstanding. If you have 20 books in your MFA, then you're probably more attractive than someone with a PhD, you know. But um, sure. But um, yeah. So I was the weirdo who didn't care about teaching, you know. I love just, that. Just collected the degree, went back to the warehouse. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Look at me. I have this, and I'm buy my book number one, <laughs> and then offer me things number two. Yeah. I love reading. Uh, you know, just reading more about you and 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 some of the stuff you know that preceded your writing career. And one of the things you mentioned is that your parents specifically told you not to work with your back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My, my great granddad, actually, I kind of grew up with oh, him in the great. house. Yeah, he, he was, shoot, when I was 12, he was probably late 80s, I guess. And um, oh but he was still strong. He would still go yeah. out in the fields and work with me. But um, we, we'd always be out there working. And at some point in the day, he would tell me, everybody called me Stevie back then. He'd say, Stevie, you don't want to do this for the rest of your life. You want to use your brain. Because everybody, like I was always reading books. And so people thought that books were my um, ticket out of out of this world, you know? Yeah. And and they would make endless fun of me for sitting around reading books, but all the same, they knew that it was worth something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm well, glad that you had that encouragement. And maybe I'm watching too much 1883, but the idea of being out in the field working next to your granddad is very <laughs> romantic. Old. He's not that old. <laughs> no, obviously, I'm not saying it took place in 1883. Yeah, I'm just imagining, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. this you know, a, a, a lineage, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and working together and, and, and yeah. working out. It sounds, Fair. it sounds amazing. No, it was. And it, it, what really impressed me was, you know, hoeing cotton, it's, I mean, it's a little bit about how much you can stand the heat and how much you can go without water and, you know, all that stuff, endurance, but really it's about technique. And my, my great granddad, after doing it himself, since he was probably six years old, he had amazing technique. He could um, reach across three rows and use the exact corner of his hoe to pluck a uh, careless weight up exactly by the root and toss it where it needed to go. It was amazing. You know, I never, I never got quite as good as him. And also he could use a scythe. I, I was out playing at the barn one day playing with an old scythe and I was about to cut my legs off and he came and showed me how you do it. And, and he had done it like in the depression, he would work for a quarter a day, I think it was. And I'm um, just scything, you know, scything tall grass all day. And it, it takes some real skill to use a scythe in the right way. You know? Yeah, I think if you that's you say you don't talk about the depression, and it was your great grandfather. It's interesting because it brought up a lot of feelings about my family. I grew yeah. up with great grandparents also. And yeah. during the depression, um, my great grandmother, who had lost two husbands, you know, she would she's from Oklahoma, but she would move to California for a job. She would move big little teeny woman, five feet tall moving mm -hmm. military trucks, you know, to make a dollar to pay, you know, raise yeah. your kids and then move to Detroit. That's how we ended up in Detroit, you know, to work the line or whatever yeah. she could get. I mean, that's, it's interesting. And I think like certain places that we're certain places where some of us are from, you do learn early on, like, okay, well, you could go in the factory and work, or you can use your brain and go to college. Like, yeah, pick one because this isn't an easy life to work the line the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's interesting. So when he told you that, when he when he recommended <laughs> not yeah. uh, breaking your body for your whole life, did yeah. did that get through at that time? I mean, obviously you continued to to work manual labor, yeah. maybe, but well, you know, um, it got through in the sense that I, I saw him and all the um, 
men and women in my family who are like just not old but older than me which was everybody um I saw them all being like broken down in various ways you know like um just fingers are mangled from working on equipment and you know just all kinds of injuries and stuff and and I mean you know when you're a teenager you think you're indestructible and I thought wow this this will never accrue for me you know but um but well, did you know carpal tunnel would catch up with you <laughs> no, everything huh? <laughs> um, it, all, it all catches up but um um but i did I always kept what he said like in my in my hip pocket and i just kept reading books you know and yeah. i never would have gone to college i had zero plans for college in my life at all i didn't i didn't graduate high school even but um but what happened was um a girl i wanted to ask out was taking the SAT. She had plans for her life, you know, and I had having zero plans. I, I don't know. I don't even know how I knew she was scheduled for the SATs. Somehow I knew. And she didn't have a car or she had her mom's car, but her mom's car was always broke down. And I had a truck that I could reliably get running. And so I ran down and signed up for the SATs at the same session she was taking them so that I could offer her a ride to the SATs. And and we we did that Fuck. and we ended up dating for like six months or something. It was great, you know. That is- why does his life read like a YA novel? It's true. It's yeah. like the goddamn grapes of wrath, but modern with like a freaking love story it's the, in it. It's the last picture show, I feel like. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> but or then, even the but- way you talk about it, you romanticize your history. But he's playing yeah. it cool too. But do he's it, playing do it. it very Keep- cool. We're here for it. Keep going. Um, Keep going. But then when um I ended up I got my diploma, you know, through circuitous means and um my mom took me out to eat at this Mexican food restaurant in Midland, Texas, and she said, um of everybody, of all, all, all us brothers that, you know, I had a lot of brothers and of all the cousins too. She said, you're the one who reads books. And, um, and she said, I've saved up enough money for you to go to one semester of college. And, oh my God. And I was like, you know, I can do that. I can go like drink for four months and then come home and drive tractor. I figured it'd be like a vacation, you know? And so I went up there to Texas tech and I luckily had those SATs that I'd done good on. And, um, so I got in and ended up in a philosophy course. And for the first time in my life, excuse me, I was sitting in a room with people who had all read the book, you know, which was amazing. High school was never like that. You know, Um, in high school, I was always, if, if I happened to be in class, I was the only one who engaged the material. It felt like to me, you know, I'm sure other people felt like they engaged it in their own ways, but, um, but yeah, so she sent me that first semester and I was hooked and I stayed on until a PhD, you know? That's incredible. Did you take any breaks or did you go consecutively through? Um... No, it was consecutive. Yeah. And I was a double major in undergrad. And um, then in my master's program, it was a PhD five program, which is a really, really rigorous curriculum. Yeah. And what you do is you skip the master's and it's all like rolled into one. But yeah. then the professor I'd gone there to work with, he blasted off. And so I took my comps and got out of there with the master's and went to Florida State where I worked with Janet Burway. And, um, and you was, did? She, yeah, she was my she was my oh dissertation my director. I have her one of her books on my shelf because she's yeah. my favorite. I might I might be in. I'm in one of those, and I'm about to be in another one, I guess. But, That's um, awesome. But um, then I did, I did, and actually, I think I hold the record at, P, at FSU because I did my PhD in two years there. You know, that was the fastest they've mm-hmm. ever had it done. Did you TA while you were there? No. No. Okay. Do we have any uh, commercials today? Let's take a quick break and see. That's enough of them. Now back to us. Well, okay, so your your mom had saved up for one semester of college. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. you went over. Um, <laughs> so, how, you know, without without prying, tell me, tell me to piss yeah. off. You're smart. But um, what were you doing to pay for college? Yeah. 
I was I was working mostly. I worked at the, um, a place called Decalb, D E K A L B. I don't know if they're still around or not. They were a big um, corn, like a seed research place, and and I hired on there. Shoot, probably my sophomore year, I guess uh-huh. it was, and I stayed with them for three years. And it was seasonal. It was, I mean, it wasn't seasonal work, but you had different work in each season it, according yeah. to the grow the crop, the you know where where uh-huh. you were, and the roughest um, season was thinning and them being a seed research outfit, what they do is they take a, um, um, a grain drill and they go out in the field and they, you know, they plant like sorghum, you know, in 200 acres or 10 acres, however big a field it is. And, and they plant it too thick. And so then we, a crew of like 16 guys have to go out and um, we like all stand sideways, like face the same way. And then we lean over to these little bitty budding plants they're like a half an inch tall and we put two fingers between each plant and we pull out the plants so that the other plants can have space to grow and we You're do giving that me like, anxiety yeah for like 12 hours a day just up and down the row after row after row and you you get what what we call thinner's crack which is your shirt comes up in the back and so you have this like this like crescent on your back which is super Ugh. tan you know <laughs> oh my god and, um and we do it all up through Texas and we'd go up to, we'd go on road trips and go up to liberal Kansas for a couple of weeks. We had fields all over the Great Plains. And, and then there's other, other seasons in which you'd be in the warehouse packing seed, you know, and mm-hmm. like sewing bags shut. And I remember one guy, he sewed the, he sewed across his fingers. So he had like thread coming out of all his fingers. Oh, God. <laughs> and, um, and there's like pesticide and herbicide, like that's all you can breathe, you know? And <laughs> so, so for like two weeks after, uh, a bagging day you'd be um you'd have pink in your body forever and ever you know yeah so when you say seed research i mean at first i imagine like oh i got a nice cushy job in a lab no no we were were the the grunts um but my favorite season was um i don't know what was it called i don't know what it's called but we would all sit in this big wide room like i don't know probably 40 feet by 30 feet or something at tables a series of tables and we would have um, packets of seed from different plants that were all marked. And we had to take those uh, packets and break them down to smaller packets, these little bitty envelopes. And we'd use these little bitty like drug spoons. Like we had to put like three milligrams or something in each packet. Saying, it and, sounds like you're like into doing yeah, it like it's drugs. Exactly. Well, it we, didn't is, be, we didn't have to the, be naked or anything. Okay, that's cool. This <laughs> how they do the, it's, we had um, first season or second season, Michael was on and he did this for marijuana right mm. yeah same right. thing he was doing the yeah. same thing and it was i love that I, I can do that i love the monotony i love monotony and jobs i don't like variety i like the same thing over and over and yeah, that's how i like that's how i like all my meals and my clothes i like everything to be the same you know because <laughs> i grew up moving around everywhere so if i can have sameness that that brings me home you know do you have your like i'm going to jump away from day jobs for a second and yeah. just ask you like now do you have rituals that i'm assuming you're not continuing to do you know seed research so do you have rituals that you do that kind of simplify things in a similar way that kind of monotony and repetition um as far as food yes i try to eat the same okay you know ideally i could just take like a pill for every meal and i would be so thrilled that would be so much easier but (laughs) i drink a lot of soylent like soylent is so easy you know um you know soylent right no i do yeah well it's uh I got excited when I saw the the, the, the billboards a couple of years ago because I was like, oh, oh, it's made of people. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like, why do I know that? That's like a horror. But it's actually made but of I soy. But I guess it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, so yeah. I'm going to check it out. 
Yeah, it's just a like a I don't know some sort of shake. That's yeah. a. How does your like wife it, feel about that? Is she like I need variety? You need she to needs spice variety this in up. her food. She mm-hmm. does not like the same thing every it's day. It's great. She just doesn't have to cook for two. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are any of your kids at home still? Uh, one of them just came back home to finish his last year of school. The other one is out right now. I have a 22 year old and a 19 year old. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. So Soylent every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's writing his own his life. I. If I may, I feel like your life is leading you to horror. I don't think it was a choice. I feel <laughs> like you have these jobs that are the same and allow because you don't have to think about yeah. the next step or change yeah. or in a new program. You were allowed to really develop and fantasize about, oh, my God, anything yeah. well, it's almost- by doing that repeatedly. And that leads to horror in my head. Yeah, it's like it's I mean, is the word monastic, like monastery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah um yeah but it's like yeah that's i never thought about it like that but um yeah if you're doing just um drudgery work then you can have a vibrant inner life you know yes 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. oh yeah well then let me ask you because some of these jobs predated writing yes um did you find were you creating stories and, and like entertaining yourself in your head yeah yeah you know and uh, actually i think that Yes, I was. And I think that comes from when I was a kid, like eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, and I would be sick and stay home from school. My mom would have to work. And so I couldn't stay in the house alone because, you know, I'm untrustworthy and I'd kill myself in some fashion. Um, my mom would put me on the tractor with one of my uncles so I could ride tractor with him all day, you know, for 14 yeah. hours. And and I saw, it's, you know, you have to like ball up. The, the tractor cabs are made for one person. So I'd have to ball up yeah. on the back, you know, and be all uncomfortable and hot. But it was the best thing ever. And I'd have a, I'd have a fever too, you know, um, or a fake fever anyways. You know? but, um, <laughs> but my uncle the whole day would tell stories about how um, like three weeks ago, he was, he was in this other field plowing and he looked over and he saw a shark fin rise up from the cotton and start going, you know, and he would just tell stories like that all day. And I was just... I, I still get chills when I think about it because it was so wonderful living in that world where anything could happen, you know? That's amazing. Is he still around? He is, yeah. yeah he's still a big liar, too. <laughs> is he a liar or a writer just waiting to put pen to paper? What's the difference, you What's guys? the difference? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I, I often think, speaking of liars, like, oh, this nonfiction would be really good if I added this line, even though that didn't really happen. And then the fiction is like based on exact reality and what really happened. Mm-hmm. Just names are changed. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, side note, yeah. sidetrack. Yeah, what is what is Bernie 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 Sinellis, um, which is weird to quote him, but um he says, I could never be as honest in nonfiction as I am in fiction. You know, yep. I, mm-hmm. I agree, I agree with that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, okay. So let me let me fish all this out. When you were doing <laughs> seed work, which gives me anxiety, just the repetitive. Like, <laughs> did you like the dudes you were working with? Because I'm assuming that they were all dudes. Yeah, no. Every once in a while, we'd get a woman through, but it was mostly guys. And um, and it was like a it was like a Lord of the Flies situation. You came in yeah. and you were ha- you were hazed and you were punished and like half the people would wash out. You know, it felt like boot camp. You know, wow. um, it was brutal. Like people you'd be you'd be out there thinning and somebody across the field would find a big hard dirt club like 15 pounds and they would chuck it and it would catch you in the head and you'd be laying on the ground wondering what happened and um you'd have to get them back and um but yeah a lot of people didn't like that kind of stuff so they would quit i mean i'm thinking did like did it ever come across your mind like i don't 
necessarily want to do this so badly. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you get a job in the computer lab on campus that's what i did kids yeah, um, that's what happens gen x people we had computer labs when we went to university okay <laughs> nobody had a laptop yeah i remember my when i came to college my roommate had a um computer that you put cassette tapes in you know oh and my I'm, god shut and you up. Tied, it, tied it into a tv till a tech of television you know and it was it was primitive oh stuff. i do remember that i don't yeah. remember uh, that uh, that was a thing i don't remember this <laughs> it was a thing i do remember that yeah. vaguely yeah i mean i remember but, my first computer it was a monstrosity but there was no tape yeah yeah, yeah. you know you know working at the sea warehouse i hadn't thought about this in a long time um like I say, there's different seasons, and one of the one of the things you do is you go into this big cavernous like airplane hangar of a warehouse, which is seed pellets everywhere. But mm. seed pellets attract mice, of course. You know yeah. they yeah. want to come eat the corn and the sorghum, and um, so you're always you're going around putting camphor cubes everywhere because mice don't like the smell of that. And also you're sweeping up mice droppings, just huge piles of mice droppings. And so that's what you that's what you do for a few weeks. You just go in there and you sweep and you sweep and you breathe in mouse poop, and it's you know I'm sure it's not very wonderful for you, but um. Concerned about his chest. I'm, I'm honestly through all these stories, and I've bitten my tongue, but I'm not going to bite it anymore. I'm, have you had a chest exam? I'm concerned. Uh, I've, I've been in many many MRI tubes. So Great. I don't, I don't, they don't they don't look at my chest specifically. But anyways, I remember my first day when I kind of graduated to you know sweeping the the big warehouse. I was working with a different crew, and these guys were all like lifers. They weren't like college students like me, mm -hmm. and and way up at the top of the warehouse a light bulb was like ready and going out and they said well you're the new guy you gotta change it and so they got a forklift and put a pallet on it and they had me stand on the forklift and you know hold on give me a light bulb and they <laughs> sent me they sent me all the way up there. like there's two stages of the forklift it goes up and then it kind of comes out and goes up again and i was so high up there and like I, it was all shaking and I, I could barely reach a light bulb and I got it changed and I looked down and they're all gone. They went to lunch. So I was up there for like an hour and a half, you know, <laughs> how many rookies does it take to change a light bulb? Do you talk to any of these people to this day? Anybody? Uh, I can't imagine any of those dudes are alive. Well, you, you know? should join Facebook and find them. <laughs> After you we know, end, I, I'm going to write their names down and we're going to go explore Facebook for them. <laughs> Another trick they pulled on the new guy was, you know, I said we would sweep the mouse droppings into huge piles. Oh, no. I was doing that with, doing that with this guy named Butch one day and Butch. he stopped and he, Butch, and he said, what, hey, what's that? Is that a ring? And I was like, whoa, you know, we were going to get rich. And so I'm leaning in to look for this ring and uh -oh. he slams his broom down and it all goes in my face. You know? Oh, God <laughs> damn it, Butch. God damn it. Let's, let me ask you this question. <laughs> Stephen Graham Jones, would you consider yourself a naive young man? Yeah, I was just—I was always real hopeful that things were going to work out. You know, you didn't read the right books. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, let's, let's let's be fair. While there obviously were some bumps in the road, it would seem that that things did work out. Things did yeah. work out. They yeah, did. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, obviously, you're a genius uh, yeah. because you were able to never fail a class once you got to college. I mean, you just sort of soared through everything very quickly. At what point did you know that you were going to be a writer? Like at what point did you go, did you start actually, I mean, you're prolific. He's a prolific writer. I think he has over like 500 pu things published maybe. 
300 yeah Yeah. so much and it's wonderful like each thing is intricately detailed in the way that you want to read like you're in the space you are feeling it smelling it tasting it you think you live there even though you didn't (laughs) and which is a mark you know of obviously a brilliant writer but at what point did you go and say i'm gonna write stories for a living Mm. like this is what i'm gonna do that's what i'm gonna do um you know i wrote three i've written three stories this week so far and it's only friday so i've still got like a day and a half to write another story <laughs> but I, 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 stop bragging I doubt, I, I doubt i do anyways but um humble brag but, yeah um you know what my first story what happened was um i was a philosophy major and yeah. i'm sitting in the back of a big world lit class like 300 people an auditorium and i've got a spiral in a notebook and it's dark and a couple of police officers come in and lower their glasses and they're like casing the place and um and I know they're there for me. Every time cops are in the room, they're always dragging me out of that room, throwing me what up against you, the wall, you know? Why haven't we talked um, about that? Why? What? Well, we are. So Okay, keep going. Yeah, and, and sure enough, they recognize me and they're like, you know, come with us. And so I slope out with them and in the lobby. Um, and then I don't, I don't offer anything because I learned long ago, you don't offer that you didn't do whatever the thing was because that means you did the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So just being quiet. Or you're admitting and, something else they weren't even there for. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm just being quiet. And sure enough, they weren't there for something I'd done Saturday night. They were there because one of my uncles um, had been burned over like 95% of his body, terrible oh, second gosh. and third degree burns. And and the town I was in, Lubbock, Texas, had the best burn unit in the area, in the region. So they had airlifted him there to live or die. And I was the only family member they could find for some reason, I guess, because I was associated with the university. So they delivered me to the burn unit ICU, dropped me off with my pen and my spiral. And I sat there for three days, three nights waiting for him to live or die. And I got bored and I wrote a story. And when I came back to my composition two class you know, on Monday, after having missed Wednesday and Friday, um, I was supposed to turn in a personal essay and I didn't, I hadn't written it. And so I just tore those pages out of my spiral and handed them to the instructor and said, um, this proves I was writing anyways, maybe this will give me like half credit. And, and she accepted it first of all, which was amazing. And second of all, she read it and liked it enough that she passed it on to a writing professor who liked it enough to type it up. Cause I didn't have a word processor or any typewriter or anything like that. And she didn't only type it up she submitted it to a departmental contest which i won and so i got a check for fifty dollars and i was like you mean you can make money for telling lies i had no idea you know i was (laughs) and um and so i just kept after that i just kept on writing and giving little publications and getting fifty dollar hundred dollar checks because you know desperate for money and i saw initially i was doing it for money you know um and then then when i was gonna graduate with my undergrad I was going to go back, go back and farm. That's all I ever planned to do was farm. But my professors, both in philosophy and English, convinced me I need to go to grad school. My first question was, "What's grad school?" Because I had no idea, and because um, my family didn't go to grad school, you know. Yeah. And and they said it's more and more of this. And I said, I said, I need to go back and drive tractor. I've got to have a life. And they said, you know, they really, they can, it became easier to satisfy them by submitting a couple of like um, obligatory applications, you know, than to argue with them. So I submitted one to philosophy school, one to writing school. The writing school got back quick and said, yeah, come here. We'll give you some money. And I thought I can wait two more years, you know, to, to, teach, to, to go back and farm and just kept going. So you took the SAT to, to for, for a girl, you yeah. went to college for a vacation 
and you applied to grad school because it was easier than arguing with your professors. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> you basically coasted into higher education. Yeah, you're gonna, no, no. You're going to depress a lot of our listeners. <laughs> um, don't be, you guys. There are people that are like magical beings living on the earth, and he's just one of them. So let's no, just no. skip that, skip it. Um, no, that's amazing. And I know I read one piece. Um, I don't know if you sent the link. Jason sent me the link, but um, you met your wife in undergrad, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys yep. get married in undergrad or did you? We got married right after undergrad, right after she, she graduated one semester after I did. And what, what was this? This was 93 when we both, when she graduated, I graduated at the end of 92, maybe. That can't be right. I'm lying. I graduated in 94. She graduated in 95. We got married in 95. That's when we and, got married. And does she have a job? And she was like, what are we doing? Like, you're going to go keep going to school? What's <laughs> no, happening she was, here? she was completely supportive. And she went, actually, talking about Pier 1, she was, went and, she was a manager at Pier 1 for a long time. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't I think did, I worked I, for her because I worked in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. I worked in Studio City at Pier 1 in case oh, you nice, made her nice. out here. I just had a, another realization. Uh, Long before you were side hustling to uh, to support your education and to support your writing career uh-huh. and your teaching career, there was a brief period, it sounds like, where your aspiration was farming and your yeah. side hustle was writing. Yeah. 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 That's kind of it. Like writing was just, I mean, I, I want to I say it was a hobby, but it was almost like a it was like a weird thing that I could do that I didn't know what to do with, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. but I figured I figured out I could monetize it a little bit, you know. And yeah. did, was there a was there a point where you're like, got to get that next story out? I need the next fifty bucks. Like, yeah. Well, you know, when I came to grad school, um, all of us like we had like eight people in our cohort that cohort that came in. I think we were all like, um, like those little nematodes in SpongeBob. We're just like jumping up and down, like <laughs> telling our professors, we want to be famous. We want to be, you know, we want to be Stephen King, please, Eric, whoever. And um. And the, our professors would always like pat us down and say, wait till we tell you you're good enough, then you can submit. And I was like, you know, screw that. Nobody's going to tell me I'm good enough. I'm going to find out for myself, you know? And so I just started submitting immediately and I started getting published immediately. And so I didn't need anybody to tell me that I could do stuff, you know? I was going to fail on my own or make it on my own, you know? Yeah. Do you tell your students that now, like just submit, yeah, you know, don't do. wait for me to tell you to submit, do it. Exactly. Yes. That's awesome. Yep. Do you teach undergrad and grad students? I do. Yep. Um, okay, so now we're present. You're still teaching full time, yeah. yeah, and writing full time with bestsellers. Yeah. Is are you at a point? And this might be too personal, so you don't have to answer. But mm-hmm. are you at a point where if you didn't want to, you didn't have to teach anymore? You could just be writing. Yeah. I, th- I think I could just I could just write. Um, but I really like having all the university resources. I like having this huge library I can go to, and I like having an office on campus, and I like having a copier and like staff yeah. that will help yeah. me navigate life. And I like having, co- yeah, I like having colleagues. I mean, yeah. and I like, and to tell you the truth, I love engaging with students because if I don't engage with students, and I'm just going to listen to my Bob Seger eight tracks and watch Magnum PI, and I'm never going to join the world, you know, but they make me join the world. Like the other day, they explained to me who Adele was, and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, now you're only 20 years behind everybody else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Although she doesn't have any eight tracks, so. <laughs> well, it'd yeah. be great if she did put one out just. Yeah, that'd be yeah. sweet. Um, and what about farming? Like, do you guys live on a ranch now? Are you farming? No. What's no, no, I live in a just a neighborhood with other houses and stuff. Um, have you lost that passion, or is it still something that you think you would 
you know, my passion was never for growing plants. Growing plants was the thing that allowed me to pull my truck over on the in the ditch and talk to somebody for three hours in the afternoon. You know, that's mm-hmm. the part of farming I like is when you mm-hmm. see somebody come in and y'all stop and swap stories for three hours. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't all the driving tractor and stuff that it's just, all it is is just a long list of equipment breaking and things going wrong and I don't that's not the part I liked about farming <laughs> no I just like the hanging out yeah. in the ditch yeah. yeah my corporate job was the same way it was really just the socialization it's like yeah. people have to go to the bathroom they stop at your desk for three hours and then the day is over and you're like aha this is easy money let's keep this yeah. up yeah, yeah yeah I get it and all these all these farmers I would talk to in the ditch like they were like a window into another world because they were all 20 years older than me and they would tell me what it was like in the 70s and just have these wonderful I'm sure exaggerated stories about their own high school years, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, I completely believed in them because I wanted to believe in them, you know. Do you find, you know, in academia uh, mm-hmm. with your colleagues, with your students that do you have those ditch moments do, where it just, you know, it, it should be five minutes, but it ends up being three hours? And Yeah, I do. Um, both with English colleagues and people, other professor, professors from other programs. Yeah, we'll just... Um, see each other walking across somewhere and we'll stop and shoot the bull. But the the bull we shoot does tend to be about like former academic jobs we've had or, you know, academic run-ins or conferences gone wrong, that kind of stuff, you know? How many schools have you taught at now? You're in Colorado Um, now. I'm in Colorado now. I was at Texas Tech before that. I do a one quarter every year at UCR. I've also done like pinch hitting teaching at um, Institute of American Indian Arts. And I've done little like one-off workshops for a lot of places as well. Yeah. What was the point or what was the the, the first, sorry, what, what came first where you were supporting yourself as a teacher or supporting yourself as a writer? Teacher like, for where, sure. where teacher, yeah. for, for, yeah. teacher first. Yeah. Teacher okay. First. And, and when you were making that happen, what were you, was that the point where you still were doing uh, seed research? Were you mm-hmm. doing warehouse work at that point? I was, you know, as I say, I came to like desk jobs or inside jobs because I hurt my That's back. Right. That's right. But then I went back to the warehouse, um, but I still couldn't like lift dishwashers and stuff anymore. So I had to work in the electronics cage, um, which is like hanging little stuff on pegs, you know, uh-huh. and like, you know, you the, the people from the dock deliver the boxes back and you organize it all and keep the floor stocked after hours, that, mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, Is it Sears? I, Sears, yeah. I did yeah. that for a couple of years and um, I really liked it. I, I mean, it was completely satisfying to me. I, I well, really it's, liked it's it. that mon- yeah. monotony again. It is. It's that like just yeah. re- repetitive action of just finding yeah. something and putting it in its hole. Exactly. And also that was the same way that, um, oh, I know book cataloging at the library. I was a book yeah. cataloger. yeah. And that's just, I mean, I, well, maybe some people would not be able to handle it, but I loved it because every morning there's a new um, rack of books right here and I've got to find OCLC records for them and make it go into an LC record and make it fit our subject headings in that library and push it on to the next stage. And that was wonderful. And also my boss at the library was a poet. She had a, she has a PhD as well. And she, and I figured out after about doing this about two weeks that I could do my rack of books in two hours. I didn't need eight hours to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And she said, um, she said, yeah, welcome to the world. Um, she <laughs> said, um, I'm not going to give you more work. What I want you to do is do your two hours of work and then angle your computer monitor away from the door and write novels, you know? And so I wrote wow. three novels working that job. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that that is one thing we talk a lot about on this show is that um, some of us have found 
jobs that give us security and support our artistic pursuits. And it's hard to leave those jobs and move on from yeah. them, even though you have to at yeah. times, but it's really hard. You're never going to go anywhere at that job. Like it is what it is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it is, it's so hard to leave that when you've had that kind of support when, and yeah. you don't know that the next thing is going to be as secure or as supportive, but yeah. you have to make yeah. those choices. And that is, that is, you know, I think sometimes, you know, that's the crossroads or the fork in the road with a lot of people yeah. who do art is it's like, stay where you are and just, yeah. Or leave yeah. the nest and fly. Or leave the nest and yeah, no, you're totally right. Because working, I love book cataloging, but yeah, I'm only making so much and I don't have an MLS, so I can only go so high. But I'm um, working in the library. I mean, it was nice because it's, the, you know, the worst part about book cataloging, actually, the part that hurts my soul still was I was the I was the gift book cataloger, which is to say people donate like a big collection and I have to sort oh, through it and, yeah. figure oh, yeah. it out and figure out what to keep, what to throw away. Yeah. And back then in 1998, 1999, the hard and fast rule at this like research one university library was no comic books and people were donating stacks of old comic books. Comic and, book. Oh, I love yeah, that. And, and, and um, but the rule was we couldn't keep them. And also like part of like my own job specifications or my restrictions where I could not take any books home because the idea was that would um, affect whether I said keep or throw this book away, you know? Uh -huh. and, um, and so I had to carry so many comic books to the dumpster and just throw them in and that hurt my soul, you know? I yeah. feel like a man who gets pulled out of class from time to time by the police would probably find a way <laughs> to... Uh, circumvent yeah. certain policies no, I, I, I could have definitely but i'm um i mean i'll be shady in a lot of aspects of my life but never anything to do with books because i think that's the one place i don't need bad karma you know yeah wow that's that's a solid line i like how you've justified that um <laughs> let's take a quick break and now back to the podcast were you the guy throwing the 15 pounds of dirt at someone's head during <laughs> no. What's happening? No, I, would, I never was. I didn't like that, like being mean to the new guy thing. I never was. I would usually try to like give them a heads up what's coming, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I never, I never liked that. Yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> try to pull the ring out of the poop shit pile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep your head but, up, you know, Frodo. <clears throat> I remember one, working that job one time. Me and, a, me and another guy got sent on some task down the road in, in one of the one of the trucks. They trusted us one, with one of the trucks, you know, and they didn't always trust you with the trucks. We'd been there for two or three years, so they gave us a truck and had us go do something. And the guy who was driving, he's my age. We were 19, 20, 21. Um, we got out to fix whatever irrigation thing we were doing. Got back in the truck. He sat down on his glasses, his sunglasses, and he like lost a pair of sunglasses every week, you know, it was like his thing. And this time he freaked out. He was so mad that he lost another pair of sunglasses and he starts throwing this fit, this tantrum in the cab and he ends up kicking the windshield out, you know? And um, <clears throat> then we had to drive back and tell the boss um, that a big black bird had flown in front of the truck and we hit it and it made the whole windshield disappear. And he's just <laughs> looking at us, us with these flat humorless eyes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he, he just, he didn't even press us. He was like, he, he knew that we were idiots and he's going to buy a windshield and we just went back to whatever other menial task we were supposed to be doing. Probably <laughs> punishment enough driving home with no windshield. Yeah. I don't even know how that happens. Like, how do you, I mean, that must have been some tantrum of a kick. Was it like? Oh yeah, he was pretty mad. He was like a guy of extremes because he would also, 
like we would, we could never find him and where we the place we would finally find him every time was he would fall asleep on the toilet and sleep there for like three hours <laughs> don't bring me into this <laughs> no <laughs> babe no how does his legs not fall asleep Oh, they would. They, they would. And like, how do you yeah. get up then off the toilet? You you're see, screaming for help. Didn't you see Lethal Weapon too? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. you, you know, Martel was gonna blow up. Yeah. Exactly. There was a yeah. point where he probably could have gotten off the toilet. But <laughs> yeah. Now he's, <laughs> he's paralyzed. Um, yeah. Okay. One thing that I haven't asked you yet that I'm gonna ask is, how did you hurt your back? Like, was it just repetitive, oh. or did something actually slip? Like, you actually like something <clears throat> fell on you? I was um. You know, I was the guy who was in charge of large appliances. So I would move refrigerators, dishwashers, air conditioners, stoves, all that stuff. And um, and we had to wear safety belts as you do, you know, with yeah. the suspenders and the Velcro. Yeah. And they, yeah. we'd, have, we'd have to like every few weeks watch this video that told us how to, you know, do the belt Lift and all that knees. stuff. Yeah, yeah I did all that, that stuff. Pure one, yeah. But the problem was you look like a dork when you have that that fastened around you you know so we all left it flapping because we felt a lot cooler with the flaps flapping and um and so i was just had the flaps flapping and uh, one day i get this this air conditioner and i lifted it off and i turned and i twisted and that twist was what did it and it just popped my back and i'm still hurting from it you know and and it floored me and then i was down for about two weeks and at the end of those two weeks, my wife and I decided I was going to, have to get a desk job because I couldn't do this manual, this lifting anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we started looking. The thrifty nickel was where you went for jobs back then. And uh, do you have the thrifty nickel out there? It's, like a little, it's a free paper. It's like Craigslist in print. You know? Oh, yeah, it's we just, have Penny it, Saver. And yeah, it's probably the same, yeah, 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 yeah. same thing. And and so we went through and circled all the jobs that I could possibly do. And the job we liked the most was bookkeeper. And I, and I called about a few of those jobs and there's a lot of confusing conversations and finally with one of the people i was trying to you know get an interview with on this bookkeeping thing i finally understood that i thought bookkeeping was going to someone's house and like organizing their books like alphabetizing them or something you know i didn't understand it was accounting library (laughs) job (laughs) yeah exactly and and but then at the very bottom of all those things there's this one little like three-line job posting in 30 nickel that said full-time job benefits must pass spelling test and i was like ding 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 because i've always been a natural speller i've just always been really lucky with spelling for some reason and so i went in and it turned out to be in a library and i sat down with that poet and in a study carol and she read me 100 words i wrote them all down she took that list and went out came back in a few minutes later and said you spelled 100 words right you got the job you know and so i got i got i got into um academia because i could spell words basically you know that's amazing. Um, when you mistook bookkeeping, I did the same thing. I went in for a job and I was with a temp agency. So I went in for a job for packaging. It was just admin work, but they were like for packaging. And so it was a very confusing interview where they were like, do you know about packaging? And I was like, well, I've worked in retail. I've stocked before. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, like cardboard boxes. And they were like, yeah, turns out it's packaging design. And like, you know, oh. there's a lot. Of, I, I was copy editing and I was writing wow. romance copy and stuff. So I fell into and lucked out with a job that afforded yeah. me like almost 10 years of like great. And they... Listen, you probably did a little bit of lying to get in there as well. I did a little bit of lying, but I also think because I was just so eager and I smiled a lot, mm-hmm. they were just like, all right, she's a 10. We can let her go after five days, you know? But I, I hustled because when you don't know what you're doing and you just really need money, because I yeah. had 
lived in my slept in my car for a week and then uh-huh. started sleeping on friends couches uh-huh. i just really needed an income <laughs> yeah, yeah like she needs it mm-hmm. yeah you know I, I was down and out i was 20 years old i guess and i spent one summer i didn't have any money and so my main food that i ate was um long john you know y'all have long john silvers out there right yeah 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 you know you can get crumbs like the like the they scoop up the top of the fryer, you know, and yep. it's wonderful, I, crunchy stuff. I yeah. I mean, it um, sounds good, but yeah. And you can go through, um, I was going inside and then I figured out you can go through the drive-thru and, um, you can buy a boat of crumbs for 25 cents. And so that was my <laughs> meals for the whole summer was crumbs. I just ate crumbs oh and crumbs God. and crumbs, but I was super broke. And then I needed a pair of boots really bad. I didn't have money for boots, but I knew that this road crew, if you hired on with this road crew to work on the interstate, they would buy you a new pair of boots on day one, you know? So I, my ankle was hurt really bad at the time, but I pretended like it wasn't hurt. I, uh, you know, unlimped myself and mm-hmm. signed on, got those free boots, Red Wings. And I had those boots for probably 12 years. They were great boots. And, and then I had to fake my way through that job. And it was terrible because I'd be like, you have to jump across the road a lot of times on a road crew and there's like a rig coming at 80 miles per hour, you know, blasting through the skinny cones. And, and I remember one time I was trying to limp, get across the road and my ankle collapsed and I fell down in the road and there's a big truck coming, you know, it was terrifying, but I made it out. But the, um, I, I did impress the guys on the crew. They were all like lifers. I was the college kid, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and one day it was like 112 degrees in West Texas they're delivering rock to us at 150 degrees. So we're baking from the top, we're baking from the bottom. And we went through our gut, our five gallon water, like by 10 in the morning, you know, and God. it was ice and water. And, and then it, we're finally having like two guys hold it up and you're trying to get like three drops out of the nozzle. You know how you do? Yeah. And, um, and finally one guy said, let's just take that top off. I want the ice. And so they spun the top off that everybody's going to get a handful of ice. And we look in and it's like, this deep of roaches in the, in the gut, you know, um, oh. but for some reason it was full of roaches and, um, everybody like dove away gagging and everything. That's the water we've been drinking all day. And, and I said, no, I'm thirsty. And so I had this guy stick his hand in and hold the roaches and ice back and tilt it back. And I drank the trickle that came out because oh. <laughs> I was so thirsty. I mean, people eat roaches. So, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's fine. They're great protein. So you were double <laughs> downing on that. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. I totally, I don't totally understand. I'm not in your shoes, but mm. I Subway would give day old bread for 25 cents. You could go yeah. in the next day and get the bread. So I did that. Yeah. And then I knew exactly if I went to Ralph's and I would pour my own peanut butter, they had the peanuts that would. So I knew exactly how mm. much to pour that it wouldn't weigh enough to cost anything when I went through the oh. checkout line. So I wasn't stealing. And I knew exactly how many dark chocolate almonds I could get also where it wouldn't weigh enough for them to charge me. And I wow. would get that much every day. And I would go through and I would do this two, three times a day. The cashier knew me. She's like, honey, I'm not even just go. But I would wow. still, because I didn't want to be caught stealing, go through yeah. the line proper. And she would, you know, just wave me through every time. And that's wow. how I sustained until I had enough, you know, for to make to go buy groceries and the first time i had enough money to go buy groceries and i was a roommate i had a roommate uh-huh. i just felt like i couldn't splurge but i just felt so good that i could buy like fruit and like pay for it and like i bought yeah. extra peanut butter that time because i could pay for it so i didn't have to get yeah. the amount that was free wow. oh, i had no idea that you could scam them that way that's excellent. you can yeah. you have to go to the store that has the bulk and then you have to like figure yeah. out yeah. It's, it's trial and error until you figure out and then yeah. you just when yeah. you're you need it you memorize that like you yeah. know it was four chocolate almonds yeah oh i know and it tastes so much better too when you get that kind of bargain right 100 you know, you know, i remember in 
this was I'm probably 20 years old here too, just broke as can be, but every Sunday um Burger King would do 99 cent whoppers, you know. I, remember I could that. scrape yeah. I could scrape a dollar together I and I was, get me a whopper and go back go back and watch Parker Lewis can't lose, you know. Yeah. I like that, that show. Yes. <laughs> Nobody knows Parker Lewis can't lose. Uh, Why don't people that aren't Gen X not know that show? But anyway, I went and got me a dollar Whopper, and it was like fresh out of the flame broiler or whatever. It was super hot, and I get my my burgers plain and dry. So it's meat and bread, and 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 so I'm driving back to my place, and um and I hold my burger out the I take the top off, and I'm holding my burger out the window so the wind can cool it, and as bad luck would have it, the wind grabs that patty and flips it off, you know, and I'm, but it was my last dollar. And so I Hang made on. the block. That's came, not, that's not bad luck. You're driving with a hamburger <laughs> out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like bad luck. It felt like I was cursed, but, right. um, but I, I made the block and um, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife was with me and I gave her the wheel and I leaned out and I scooped that burger patty off the, out of the intersection and yep. pulled back and ate it, ate it up, you know, she loves good. you, man. <laughs> She loves you very, very much. She was like, split it with me. I'm she fucking is, hungry. I thought she was able to see past some shit with the soylent, but no. Listen, when you're young and you're hungry and you, you have like, I don't fantasize or romanticize the starving artist thing. Like, that's not cool, guys. Get a job, like feed yourself. But there were times when it wasn't that easy. Like it's much easier now to find side hustles. You know what? What was easy back then? Like I remember one Thanksgiving, I was on my own in in Lubbock, Texas, 20, 22 years old, and I didn't have any money, but I wanted to eat like one good meal for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I went to three different plasma places and and did plasma. Yes, you three, did. Three, three t- yeah, because they didn't have computers to tell the other place that you just did this, right. and so I got like. $45 or something. I was flush, you know, mm-hmm. I had me but he couldn't eat it because he was passed out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. He didn't even eat. He bought that hamburger and the crows ate it right out of his <laughs> limp hand. Here's the other thing I know about donating plasma, which I never did because I didn't weigh enough, which is my point. Like you uh, didn't weigh enough to give three things. Of, I see you. You didn't weigh enough at 20 or however old to give three things of plasma that day. Even for a rotund person, you're supposed to, it's every like 16 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, I was pretty drained. Yeah. Well, um, we, this was awesome. Yeah. This was like this so was good. Really amazing. My and, face hurts. And I, and I, and I just want to make an observation, something I've been like sitting on since early in this conversation. There's, there's so many of these things you said, because, you know, I am, I'm almost done reading My Heart is a Chainsaw, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal, by the Thank way. You. Yeah. Um, and, but there are all these little things, these little nuggets you've dropped. And I don't know whether you're aware of them or if it was intentional, but like when your uncle was, was in the burn unit and you went and you, you know, you took your spiral notebook and you wrote your stories and you turned them in as extra credit. I'm like, Oh, that's Jade. That's Jade. Like turning in her extra credit. (laughs) And, 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 uh, and just other things like I, I, I don't know how intentional it is. Maybe it's completely intentional, but. Well, even the day laborers from this story, this conversation, yeah. even the day laborers are something that you're, you know. Yeah. You're in your book. You're in your book. And you're, yeah. you're, you transform your <laughs> stories into, you know, your own personal stories of your day, of your work history into the lives of these characters. And I think it's, mm. you know, it's, it's why it's so real. It's why oh, it's so textured. You. You know what? I should I shouldn't say that. I'm not in the position to say why it's so real. But for you, I, for, me, for you, for yeah, uh, for me, well, to me, to me, it just feels like 
laziness or lack of imagination. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that way when I'm writing sometimes too. I'm like, why is my life so interesting to other people? (laughs) Fuck. You know, but yeah. Anyways, we do what we do. Yeah. Well, your, your experience is is rich and um and it and it finds its way into the work and and yeah, really yeah. really magnificently and so yeah, thank well, you thank for you. thank you for gifting us with that yeah thank you no it's I don't know if it's gifting because I did buy the book but <laughs> <laughs> well thank, thank you I didn't even talk about all my jobs I've had a lot more stupid jobs but you want to um, run them see? off we got time yeah. <laughs> um i guess when i was 12 i started out chopping cotton graduated to move an irrigation line with the tractor work and then got hurt for a while in high school so i couldn't work in the fields and so i went to be a roof estimator for a fly-by-night roofing place oh my I had god a, I had to get a high schooler ladders. yeah high schooler yeah well, it was a total scam you know total super scam. scam and then I was a curb painter for a while, which didn't I love work those guys. very well. Yeah, no, um, we were scam. We were not good curb curb painters. We messed <laughs> up a lot of addresses. And <laughs> this one guy found he. I was walking. I was walking, cutting through a storage unit, and this one guy said, "Hey, you come over here." And he had a flatbed trailer with him. And it turns out he ran the place, and he also was a maintenance guy for it, a big storage complex. And he said, hey, you like to make some money? And I said, sure. And so I hired on with him for 30 days to paint his storage unit. Like, you like, like you know, you know how they are. They're just yeah. big places. And But we couldn't use a sprayer because that would go through the cracks between the cinder block right. and the garage and get on people's belongings. So I had to use a roller in like 115 degree heat for 30 mm. days. And that was that was some brutal work. And what else have I done? Yeah, the seed stuff. Um pulling carts at Sam's. I was a night janitor for the biggest um, daycare in Texas for a while. Oh, um, wow. I worked daycare in transmission. For, for, for kids? Yeah, for little kids. I was a, um, I was a, night I edited, edited legal briefs for a while when I was in grad school, I guess. Oh, did you write yeah. the story of the night janitor yet? Because I'm here for it. <laughs> well, I mean, Jade, Jade's a janitor. She's not yeah. a night janitor. That's true. Oh, but, um, crap. And that's Rexall. right. Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Your, and, your whole life is in Jade's book. Yeah, no, it's terrible, huh? Um, <laughs> and um, then there's an iUniverse thing. Um, what else? A library, a lot of warehouses, transmission shop. Um, that's all I can remember. I should have made a list of them. But, um, you, this just is, did. you just did. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think like when we ask people who don't know us or, or whatnot, and we're like, sent us a list of your jobs and oh. they were like well like you like but it's not impressive and we're like that's better trust us we want to know everything you've done because we've done everything and oh. and by the way one of my favorite things about this oh. show is talking to people and having and, and seeing them the moment they remember other things they've done yeah it comes flooding oh. back am i right yeah. Yeah, you try to block it out and we make you remember yeah no for sure for sure you know i considered being a massage dummy because i somebody gifted me a massage like 10 12 years ago and i went in and this woman was just brutal like she's trying to break me but i never made a noise and at the end of it she said you know um you are a good massage person you don't complain and i was like i couldn't even talk you know because i was so hurt (laughs) And she said, you should come to the Massage Institute and you can have students massage you all day as practice. And I was so tempted to do that, you know, but I, I didn't do it. Um, also, I got offered I got offered work at the grocery store once. I was walking out with my whatever I bought, you know, for dinner. And, and this woman approached me and she said, um, her and her friends 
are artists and they need nude models and could I come be a nude model for them? And I was like, well, this would be money, but I didn't do it because it seemed like a not above board kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite jobs was actually the warehouse at Sears and I was outside Dallas. I worked at a lot of Sears, but this was outside Dallas in a place called Louisville. And, and there was a, there's like a garage door corner where it went way high. There's, we put all the garage doors there, you know, we're guys by number so we could yeah. find them when we need them. And, and I hired on this one guy showed me that there was a way to climb those shelves. They were really sturdy shelves. And if you climb them all the way to the ceiling, which is probably 40 feet up at least, oh God. then the top shelf left about like, I don't know, that much room between the, the, t- the ceiling and the top shelf. And we didn't know garage doors would fit up there. So it was empty and you could climb all the way up there and lie there really still. And the boss could never find you. You could lay there for like three hours and nobody <laughs> would know what you were doing. You know, was and it, it comfortable? was comfortable. If it was comfortable, I'd be We brought some stuff up there to make it comfortable, but it was like the, the clubhouse. That thing was there's that, <laughs> yeah, clubhouse, <laughs> that really fine dust, like you get on the back of ceiling fans, you know, that yeah. kind of, that dust was up there. And so you'd always, you'd look kind of guilty because you'd have that stuff all on one side of your body and everything. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I love that. Put in a pole so you can just slide down. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm actually thinking of ways to like. You know, at the, at the same, at the same Sears, one Sunday they had a, a a work party, a picnic, and and I couldn't go because I had to do something, and I was heartbroken because I wanted those burgers and those hot dogs. I was just gonna say terribly. he's gonna say something about the food. He yeah. sat on a meal. So then later that week, <laughs> I was um, working the warehouse, and there was a blackout, and so everybody had to leave the store. But instead of leaving, I snuck to the break room because I knew where they had stashed all the leftovers from the party, <laughs> and um, and it was like um, by, by the sink under the, in the cabinet. And so I opened that door, and I was just like eating every hot dog bun, every bread I could as, as fast as I could. And then halfway through that, the lights came on, and I realized that those buns were like fuzzy with mold. It was like <gasps> nothing but mold. I just been oh. eating all that stuff. <laughs> it's so it's so funny because um. By the way, we're gonna have, I'm gonna have you on my new podcast, Gross Shit I've Eaten. Gross Shit I've Eaten. <laughs> it's it's funny because when I did get my job and and had benefits and everything, mm-hmm. um, they always had free food. There was always uh-huh. free food, and then like in the cafeteria, you could pay for food at the cafeteria. But there was always like candy because I worked I worked in candy packaging. But there was candy, and there were people would bring in pastries and cookies, and there was always something, always plus vending machines and free coffee, and I never ate. Cause I didn't want people to think that I was desperate for food. Oh, so I, wow. I like, I just, I avoided, I had conditioned myself not to eat in front of people for the longest time. Like wow. it was, a, it was, a, it's a very weird. It's probably a, yeah. a woman thing too. Like I just, uh, there's just so many little things. I was just like, man, I really do want that cheese Danish, but I'm not <laughs> going to have it. I forbid it. I forbid you, Jamie. So I just went to eat and people were like, Oh, there's free ice cream today. And I was like, Oh good. Enjoy that. You know, like I'm good. It's too bad you didn't work at the moldy hot dog bun place. Oh, <laughs> I know. Um, Self control would have been made a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. When I worked at Sam's, that was a, a rule they impressed upon us that we couldn't graze. We couldn't like go to all the food state food sampling stations and right. you know, take right. a bite. Yeah. That was the only reason I ever like shopped it. Well, I, we went yeah. to Costco, but that was yeah, was the big draw. So when coronavirus hit. 
and the and the samples went away. I'm like, we're done. Yeah, we canceled our membership. We were like, well, after this, because we would go there for dates. What would and just be the point? Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, for sure. Um, for sure. This, this podcast just took a weird food turn that I'm really comfortable. It took an inevitable food. I'm very turn. comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at Sam's, I had to sign papers that I would never work at a Walmart again. You know, like Walmart. Uh, Oh, yeah, Sam's like, Walmart yeah. owns Sam's or yeah, Sam's owns Walmart together. or there's somebody, some, somebody yeah. together. Yeah, but I could never work at any of any anything in that family. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not totally sure why I must have done something really bad. But um, oh, this was like at your exit interview or something. Like when well, at my firing or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, do they carry your books? Now I'm gonna have to see. I don't oh, shop a, at Walmart, good, but I would love to see if they sell your books. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm gonna look into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Can, a. That, that, can confirm on the social media yeah. when this comes yeah. out. I do remember when I was working, uh, what I what I was doing there for part of my job at Sam's was package pickups, so delivering heavy items or big items out to the cars, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and I was doing that with a friend once, a King mattress. We had it on a cart, and um, we're just walking and talking, having a good time, following whoever the customer is, and um, we got to telling a story, stories to each other, and then we realized that neither of us had the cart anymore. You know, we had lost track of the cart. <laughs> And we look around and it's just sailing across the parking lot, like with this King mattress on it. Mm-hmm. And there's this person in up front in the parking lot getting out of their wheelchair into their van with oh, a, no. assist, the assist thing. And that mattress just takes them out, like <gasps> sends everything going. And um, and we're like, well, this is it. We're going to jail. <laughs> you know? This was we, definitely the exit interview precursor. <laughs> yeah. We run over there and that person was just laughing and laughing. I thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. They weren't hurt, you know. Okay, um, good. Yeah, which was wonderful. And they were good natured about it. And I don't I don't think that's why I got fired. I think that I got in trouble for it, but I don't remember what I got fired for. But um but it wasn't that. So it was worse than that, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. or, or you just got caught. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think sometimes they're just waiting for you to do something so they can let you go over that mild offense because they oh. couldn't let you go mm-hmm. for the yeah. other thing. Like when yeah. I worked at Starbucks, um I refused to clean up the poop somebody left in the bathroom on the floor instead of the toilet i've said well i'm not osha certified like i'm not like i'm not going to do that i'm just not going to do that i'm not a manager like you do it um but he fired me because i was too slow at pouring coffees oh wow and i was like well nobody else has complained i got christmas gifts from you know yeah our regulars it's basic physics the coffee comes out at a certain speed yeah he's like you're too slow at pulling shots so wow. I'm letting you go. And I was like, this is over the poop. It was over the yeah. poop. Man. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> talking bathroom cleaning, when I was a night janitor, the daycare, oh, the worst room of all was the potty training room, of which course. was, it, it, it was like these little bitty mini toilets and it was tiled floor to ceiling. Everything was tile, you know, and I would go in there and it was a disaster zone. And I would usually do that first thing. So the rest of the night would be progressively easier and easier, you know? Yeah. Um, Child pee is one thing. Like, I, I was a camp counselor and I, I get it. Like these little yeah. guys miss the seat. Potty yeah. training is different. Yeah. That's harder, yeah. but still you're cleaning up a kid's poop. Even yeah. if it's not yours, fine. Cleaning up yeah. a grown man's horse sized <laughs> dump on the floor of Starbucks. You assume that, it was a man. I do. Is that how I'm going to start my work day? Mm-hmm. I got three jobs to get to that day. It's 4 30 uh, in the morning. I'm not yeah. doing it. Also, just another you know level of fairness. You were in janitorial services. You were in food service. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I had to serve <laughs> people right after that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've still got something from that daycare job. Um, you know. It, the the, the, the background, 
Say what? Is it one of the mini potties? <laughs> no, no, that'd be neat to have like an ashtray or something. But um, the around the playground, it had like a big six or eight foot cinder block fence so that people could like stand there and look at the kids, you know? And, creepy, um, very creepy. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and I had to go out there and rake the gravel even to reset the playground for that was part of my duties. Yeah. And I'm out there doing that once and under the swing set is this big bloody knife, you know? And oh, somebody God. had been running from the cops and thrown it over the fence, you know? And ah. And, oh I was my like, God. and so I took it home, I cleaned it, and I've still got it in the garage, you know. Huh. And you wonder why cops pull you out of classrooms. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you are still sitting on evidence. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. There is an unsolved murder somewhere in the state of Texas. Yeah. Stephen yeah. Graham Jones is going to write about it. Yeah. I, I carried a pistol for that job, too. Um, but, he also and, worked security. It wasn't just janitorial. Yeah. <laughs> the daycare. Um, but I, the reason I carried a pistol was because it was terrifying this in this huge two two story it used to be a bank a bank this 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 daycare because um when you're vacuuming and doing all the sweeping and mopping and stuff every time you look up there's a clown looking at you from the wall because it's all painted like that, you know, and I, hmm. it was really super creepy. So I carried the pistol to shoot clowns if i needed to most of me thinks you're talking about juvie i mean i don't know to send does, my yeah. child to a place <laughs> so was the was, was the potty training room was that the vault <laughs> oh, that's amazing <laughs> Uh, that's serious you do have to clean it i remember my mom complaining when i was little when she'd send me when i went to mm -hmm. um preschool uh, some kids weren't potty trained and like mm -hmm. I wasn't trained to clean up the toilet before I sat on it and I came home with a mm -hmm. boil like every other week and she was like wow. I had to take you out of there and put you someplace else and that was at a church it was like basically free that's why I wow. was there oh, but you wow. know Man. it's life yeah. That's life, so yeah. <laughs> this was so great this was so such a cool conversation <laughs> so thank you so much Stephen, for a blast yeah thank you wow Stephen graham jones has blown my mind it feels really good knowing i imparted some urban food foraging on him you want to know who's coming up next week do i he's a special lad that also knows a thing or two about urban food foraging I know who it is. I'll bet you do. Dominic Burgess. It's Dominic Burgess. It's Dominic Burgess. Dominic Burgess. She wants my money, but I got no money. This ain't no savings and loans.